couple of weeks ago, as we were moving into the close of John chapter or First John chapter four, I had mentioned that John basically wove together before us and hung up for us a tapestry of love, and by which we need to view life in the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. We are a a community of love, a tapestry of love, put together by God, woven together, and yet we recognize that whatever we are, we're not perfect. We are not perfected. We are redeemed. We experience love in a redeemed community. But what we live in now is the now and the not yet. The inauguration of the end times has begun. Christ has come. Christ has had victory over sin. Christ has resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, having been crowned with all glory and honor. That inaugurates the end age. That that signals the end times. It is unfolding and has been unfolding for 2,000 years and will continue to unfold until that day when Jesus returns, showing himself to be the king of all creation. For right now, we receive that by faith. We don't know that by sight. We receive it by faith, by what he said in his word or says in his word. So we are a redeemed community. We have tasted redemption, but it is inaugurated in us. It is not yet complete. It's not yet come to full. We are not yet perfected. And so as such, we need to continually learn what it is it means to be a community of love. John may have laid it out before us that this is what this tapestry of love looks like, It's Paul who does the most to lay it out and shows us, in particular, how do we live this? How do we live this out? And so that's what we've been doing. We've been looking into the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, to see how the apostle lays out what this kind of life looks like, how this kind of life um, unfolds. This morning, last week, we looked at the fact that we put off the old nature— we put on the new nature, which is made like Christ. Like taking off those old grubby overalls full of grease and ready to be burned anyway and just setting them on fire and letting them go and putting on the new nature, which is renewed by grace, daily renewed by grace. In fact, even as the outward tent wastes away, the inward man is renewed day by day by the grace that God gives to us. Praise the Lord. Because my shoulder and my elbow and my other shoulder and my knees and my hips and my lower back and sometimes my feet are reminding me that this tent is wasting away. And I'm sure there's other parts that are reminding me as well. And I'm sure that you can feel it too, right? But the inner man is renewed daily by grace as God infuses his life into us, sustains us by his life, so that more and more we look to him to uphold us and give us strength in these bodies to live out, carry out what it is he's called us to do individually. 
So we're looking at that. We're putting off the old nature, putting on the new nature. And now we're, we, come to the, we come to the next thing that the apostle says. One verse. Remain seated. Chapter 4, verse 25 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you... Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. One simple sentence, and yet it's so jammed full of so many other things. We pray that you would teach us. Teach us to see your love and to see how this is love for one another. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Fake news. That seems to be the big one, right? That's the big one that's like uh, being talked about, either on the internet or in the news or whatever. Fake news. That's what everybody's concern is. Isn't it interesting? You know, it comes through the internet, it comes through social media. And it's close enough to possibly be true, but you just know it's, it just can't quite be right. But if it was true, it just seems like that's really how it would turn out. Let me give you an example. One fake news headline that I came across. A Reformed Presbyterian man has run out of the church as soon as hand clapping started. Oh my goodness, are you awake? <laughs> you can kind of picture that, can't you? It's like, ooh, you know, are we really like that? Maybe we really would do that. <laughs> I, I have a little story to tell. <clears throat> One church that I was serving in started to use drums. It took me four months to get used to it. And I stood there like this. I was not going to tap my foot. <laughs> Another piece of fake news, fake news. A Reformed Presbyterian minister has been asked to step down from his pulpit because he became emotional during a sermon and started weeping. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Another piece of fake news. There was a Reformed Presbyterian church where the motion-activated lights went out during worship service. (laughs) We're not called the Frozen Chosen for no reason. You know that, right? They're just close enough to be true, to be believable, right? But you just got to ask yourself, did that really happen? You kind of feel like it could have happened, but... But sometimes it's just humor. You know, for example, there's a web page called Lutheran Satire or Babylon B. Just picks on the church. It's church people picking on the church for our goofiness and our inconsistencies. But sometimes fake news is used as a lure to draw you into something else. For example, some kind of a fake title along the lines of doctors discover this one food that if you eat it, you'll burn off 700 pounds in two weeks. We've probably all seen those, haven't we? 
Other times, fake news is used as political weaponry. And, and we know that that's been taking place, too. But fake news is not new, right? Fake news is not new. It's not a new thing at all. It's always been a part of religious weaponry. So the original fake news is recorded in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. When the original fake news announcer sidled up to a woman and said, has God really said, yeah, there are no trees that you can eat of in the garden? And then the second piece of fake news, you will not surely die. It's always been with us, folks. It's always been with us. And it's the kind of a thing that turns out to be a poison in our minds and in our souls. Falsehood is the death of the soul. Falsehood is the death of relationships. Falsehood is the death of communities. Even though it might be painful and faithful are the wounds of a friend, the truth is health. Truth is health. Falsehood is a gangrene and slowly but certainly kills off its victims. And in a Christian community of love, it's a disease and a poison that must be removed. By great contrast, real love in the church means that as Christ, who is the truth, is living in us, we must be speaking truth to our brothers and sisters so that they will not be tossed about in every direction by any kind of teaching that comes along, but so that they will be stable in the Lord. A life of love means first, love of the truth, and secondly, love for truth in life. Those are different things. Love of the truth and love for truth in life. That's what's really being said here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, keep in mind, this is in the power of the new man. We are putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature in the power of the new man. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. We can ask, can we not, what is the truth that's being spoken of here? For the most part, many of us just run immediately to the whole idea of truth and doctrine. Truth in doctrine. Gospel truth, doctrinal truth. This is what we ordinarily think of, and it's not enough. It's too cold. It can be too lifeless. It's too propositional only. There's a different dynamic. Truth isn't found primarily in truthful or doctrinal propositions, theological propositions. They're necessary. We need to somehow summarize what we believe about God, but that's not where the truth lies, not in the propositions. Those are just summaries and expressions. And so, aside from theological truth, we have to talk about general truth. 
general truth. There is a truth about everything. There is a truth that provides for us the structure of reality. The structure of reality. Let me give you, let me give you an example of what this means. Is there anything in the world or is there anything in the universe that tells us that there are seven days in a week? What in the universe actually tells us that there's seven days in a week? It's not like birds sing about seven days in a week. It's not like cows decide not to give milk on a seventh day. It's not like things stop growing on the seventh day. Or the sun takes a break. Right? There's nothing in the world that tells us that there's seven days in a week. And yet, when you look throughout the world, guess what? Humanity recognizes seven days in a week. Where does that come from? It only comes from one source. There is truth that's been declared to mankind and structured for mankind that says... And God rested on the seventh day, and you're expected to rest on the seventh day too. Now, believe it or not, there are cultures that are discovering that when you don't rest every seven days, you start running higher and higher tensions, and in some cultures, that becomes a formula for suicide. Because there's no break. There's no rest. There's no weekly vacation from the work. In God's wisdom, he's designed things to be seven days with one day, I mean, six days of work and one day of rest. Now, we get that from the Bible. But, you know, it's not a propositional truth. It's a reality. So when we say that God made everything, it's really easy for us to say, oh, yeah, God made everything. But when you walk out of here this, this morning... You're going to see a tree, maybe in your yard or maybe in the yard next door. Go up and put your hands on the tree. I'm going to suggest something. Please don't have me arrested. Hug that tree. (laughs) Have you ever hugged a tree? Oh, they're all so warm and barky. But hug it. It's a real thing. It's a living thing. God made it for you. When you go out for a walk this afternoon, and that green grass under your feet, look at it, take your shoe off and kind of rub your feet in the grass. Feel it. God made that for you. More of the reality that we have to deal with, that that really we want truth to speak to, do you know that there are no races in humanity? There's people, tribes, nations. There's no races. There is a human race. And what we've done, we have to be careful not to let the world define how we view people, view humanity. 
There are cultural preferences. There are cultural practices which turn out to be things that are adopted, things that are, we're raised with. But a human person is a human person, period. It doesn't matter if they're red, yellow, brown, or if their hair is some other color. You got the point, right? There is one humanity. And there are those who know the Lord and those who do not know the Lord. That's general truth. That shapes reality, and truth must shape reality. Otherwise, you are living a falsehood. You're living in a fog. You're living with some other kind of a structure by which to engage this existence that may or may not actually help you. For by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so part of that reality is seeing people for who they are and where they are. And that brings us to the next piece, and that's relational truth. There is general truth, doctrinal truth, there's relational truth. A truth that governs how we interact with one another, how we perceive one another, how we live with one another. The person in poverty is someone who bears God's image. He is worthy of our attention and compassion. The victim of abuse is someone who bears God's image. And believe it or not, so does the abuser. They are both worthy of our concern and compassion. The one who is downtrodden and the one who oppresses, all of them need truth to reign in their relationships. This is a very basic piece of relational truth. Here's an interesting aside. Do you know that there is always, always counseling going on in this church? Did you know that? There's always counseling going on in this church. If you go to someone or someone comes to you and they want to offer an opinion or they want to give an opinion about a matter, that's actually giving counsel. And the question is, is this good counsel or bad counsel? Is this counsel according to truth or is this counsel according to falsehood? It always has to be assessed, evaluated. If the counsel that you give is not aligned with God's truth, then what, you, what, what might you suggest that counsel is? This is why a life of love requires a love of the truth and a love of truth in life. And so that's the truth that we must speak to one another because we only have one source of truth, don't we? That one source of truth is not a source of fake news. That truth is, in fact, the scriptures, this Bible, this word of God, sometimes declared by God directly, sometimes provided by God through the working in his servants by his spirits, by his spirit, always preserved and transmitted, protected and preserved, and then translated for us so that we can read it in our own language, because I think most of us don't read Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or Chaldean. Some of it's written in Chaldean, believe it or not. 
So let me ask you a question. How well do you know your Bible? If this is the source of relational truth, if this is the source of general truth, how well do you know your Bible? If I said to you, turn to First Chronicles, could you do that? Do you even know where it is? Or how about Zephaniah? Or, or Malachi? The Italian prophet. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we... We don't, even, we don't even know where to navigate in here. We, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know that this book, which is God's word, God's precious word, his very word, is speaking to us right now. So when we say we're going to speak truth to one another, we're going to put aside falsehood and speak the truth with his neighbor, we need to know the truth. We need to know where to find the truth. Because frankly, we are a redeemed community that's not yet perfected and still learning these things. Yes? Can you recite the books in order from memory? That's just basic table of contents. What about the larger trajectories and the themes in Scripture? What are those larger themes? What's the theme of the book of Judges? What's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? Or of, well, let's see, Obadiah. We need to know those kinds of things. This is not seminary-level stuff, folks. This is the stuff of simply reading. This isn't seminary-level, okay, let's break down the book of Isaiah into its uh, necessary, distinct components and figure out uh, what the work of God is between component A, component B, and maybe the next four or five components. That's that's not seminary-level stuff. That's just asking, what story is God telling We need to know these things. And we can sit in a congregation, we can hear the word proclaimed because it's the word of truth, but then if that stops there, we're starving ourselves. Truth is not a static thing. It is dynamic. It's something we need to know and something we need to be speaking. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is not the denomination. It's not the denominational offices. It's not the guys who really kind of, quote, run the show out there in the distance. The church is you and me. We are the pillar and the ground of the truth. The truth lives or dies in us and with us. That's our task. That's our task in Princeville. It lives or dies with us. Jesus lives in us. He is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And it says earlier in Ephesians that assuming that you have heard about Christ and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Jesus is in us. We are in Jesus, and he wants to live that truth out in us. We must know the truth. You must know the truth. You are the pillar and ground of the truth. And you need to know the centrality of the Lord. One of the reasons we don't speak to one another, where it says here, speak the truth with his neighbor, we assume that everybody knows the story. We assume that everybody really knows what's going on. We're afraid to look a little bit too 
holier than thou, or, you know, I'm better off than you because I know it and you don't. Many of us have some sense of a gospel story because of Christmas and Easter and some of the things in between there. But frankly, for a lot of us, the beginning of it all is either truncated or garbled up really badly, and the end of it all is truncated, cut off, or garbled up really badly. And yet, it was Jesus who was walking along the road with his disciples as they were walking on the, on the road to Emmaus. He had just raised from the dead. The tomb was empty. They were dis- these friends were discussing it with one another as they were walking along the road, and Jesus came alongside. And he began to unfold for them all of the places in which the scriptures spoke about himself. Let me give you a few examples. When Abraham came back from defeating the kings in Canaan, he came and he was met by a high priest whose name was Melchizedek. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem. And what did he bring out for Abraham, do you know? Bread and wine. Do you think Jesus was there? When Gideon was told to go tear down the, the idols and to, um, to stand against the Philistines, and he was confronted by the angel of the Lord to say, this is what I want you to do, Gideon, who do you think was there? Our Lord Jesus Christ. When the people were led throughout this land of promise and they were engaged in warfare and taking on all of these enemies of God and they were being smitten by the sword, the sword that the Lord had told told them to pull out, who do you think was leading them in that warfare? Yahshua. Yahshua. Joshua. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus was there. When Ezekiel saw the visions of the throne coming down and the cherubim on either side, and he was overawed, and he trembled into a pile of mush before it, who do you think it was he saw there? Our Lord Jesus Christ glorified. And when John saw him at the Isle of Patmos, and he sees him with his blood-stained road and his sword pulled, the sword in his mouth, his eyes like fire, there was the King of glory, the King of glory standing right in front of John as a, not just a vision, but in reality, glorified, advancing his holy purposes in the earth. From page one to the end of the story, it's all about Jesus. Every bit of it. And when we only take the incarnation and we say, this part's about Jesus, we're missing our Bibles. Not that you can't be saved with only that little part, but you're missing your Bible. You're not seeing the victory and the glory and the justice and the holiness of God in Christ from the beginning to the end. An example. This is too exciting. When Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, there was an angel with a flaming sword put at the entrance to the garden. 
And the flaming sword moved all directions in order to protect them from going back and eating the tree of life. You know what that said? In order to eat of the tree of life, someone had to pass under the flaming sword. The sword of justice. Who passed the flaming sword? Jesus. Do you see him? Do you see him going back into the garden to eat of the tree of life? He passed under the flaming sword and he survived by God's grace, raising from the dead to eat the tree of life. Your Bible is full of Christ. And when you don't know it, you're just robbing yourself. Do you know that 55 to 60% of the human body is water? We can't live without water. We can't live without it. We will shrivel and become nothing, right? We need to drink water all the time. Beloved, truth is water to the soul of the true Christian. That's why we speak to one another. We hold out to one another a cup of cold water and we say, here, drink from this well of salvation. It's a wonderful thing. We speak truth to one another because we love one another. We speak truth to one another because it's life. And we're going to be able to stand next to one another in the kingdom, worshiping the same Lord Jesus Christ in delight and in glory when he comes. So then speak to one another. We need to hear these things. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's not a static thing. The truth is not a static thing. It's dynamic in our relationships. It heals us. It restores us. That's why in the new man we are told, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The image here is that we are a body. We do not live without one another. We do not live without one another. Falsehood is a canker, it's a gangrene, and it's death to healthy tissues. We speak truth to keep all the members of Christ's body alive and healthy. I have a friend who's just recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They cannot operate on it. One organ. That's it. One organ. But it's a death sentence. If there was a way to make that change to kind of pull that organ out and put a new one in its place, there's lots of people who would do that. But you know what? It's something that now affects the whole of her body, the whole of her being. Friends, we don't want anyone here to be sick. We don't want anyone here to be eaten up by the gangrene of falsehood. We don't want anyone here to be destroyed by the cancer of untruth. Which is why we adhere to the word, hold on to the word, proclaim the word, speak truth to our neighbors. Because love in the Christian community means love of truth and love of truth in life. We must love one another to bring the life-giving word to one another. May that really be the character of our community. 
It's a delightful thing to be able to be have someone come to you and bring that word of life and say, here, this is for your soul, drink deep. May, may that be our approach with one another to the well of salvation. May God grant that. Let's pray together.